The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? This is the Mr. Mike Augustinio, and I have just a little announcement for you today before we begin the episode. All right, this is a solo episode tonight. Um, I, I went at it alone tonight the way that I normally do do the podcast, right? The way that the podcast was for its first 40-some episodes. But, um, yeah, so there's three matches to break down tonight, and I think you're going to like the analysis. Also, we have a contribution from from our friend James at Better Than Dot Vegas. He provides some audio for us with some predictions and some plays for uh, Saturday's matches. Now, as he says in the video, um, this is my little public service announcement. Okay, as he always says, play uh, responsibly when you play, okay? Um, and like they say on the British uh, radio um, adverts, they always say, you know, when the money runs out, stop playing. So that's my little PSA for this episode, all right? And I got a special treat for everybody at the end of the episode. Fans of England, fans of Scotland will remember, all right? I get real nostalgic about this matchup that I'm going to talk about today in this episode. So at the end of the episode, um, I'm going to play for you the song from 1996, The Three Lions, Football's Coming Home. All right, that is a song that is synonymous with this rivalry, thanks to it being played in the stadium the old Wembley Stadium back in 1996 at Euro 96, 25 years ago, the last time these two met in an official uh, tournament, in an official finals. And I hope you will like it, and uh, it's a little a little trip back in time to 1996. All right, uh, we're going to pay a bill real quick, and on the other side, we'll be right into the episode. And I hope you enjoy it, like I said, and I'll be back again tomorrow, all right, with more Parking the bus for you. All right, enjoy the show. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTV Nation? Welcome to another episode of Parking the Bus. It's episode 49 tonight, and it is night number eight or day number eight of Euro 2020. Here on the PTB Media Network, I'm your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, and we got three big matches to talk about today. Um, the play on the pitch wasn't as exciting today as we've kind of gotten used to, but there was still plenty to talk about. So. Um, of course, the major talking points in this in this match day, in day eight, go to the British Derby, right? At Wembley, the British Derby. It's England and Scotland, and I must say that I thoroughly enjoyed the match. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, 
It was two teams that know obviously know each other very well for obvious reasons. They play in a lot of them play in the same league. Okay. Um Garrett Southgate leaves me asking a lot of questions. He leaves me asking a lot of questions. I really am not sure what to think of what exactly he's doing with this team right now because there's so much talent in that England team, especially going forward. I thought their troubles would be defensively, to be honest. And the truth is they're not putting the ball in the net. They're not putting the ball in the goal. They're not creating enough opportunities to score. I'll get to it when we break the match down, but how do you leave a player like Jaden Sancho on the bench in a match like this? This match was screaming for Jaden Sancho to come off the bench and start running at some defenders. They were dropping deeper and deeper. They were low-lying defenders, okay? Low-lying, and yet he he uh, he goes with, with – I mean – for me, Raheem Sterling today did not give you much, okay? I know he's a popular player. Everyone likes it, but I've said this for a couple of episodes now. I've been saying it. He looks tired to me. He looks fatigued. He cannot explode with that ball. He cannot get out and beat players on the dribble the way he, we're used to seeing from him as often. Scotland, on the other hand, had the hearts of lions out there today. They know they're overmatched. This was like a final for them. Let's remember for a moment here. Scotland has never been out of the group stage at a major tournament. A lot of times we forget that when they make it on, on the occasions they do qualify. We forget that and we find we find them getting a lot of pressure to get out of the the group as if it's an expectation, even though they've never done that. So that's where, we, that's where, where that match stands. We'll go into more detail a little bit later. We had a good match today between Sweden and Slovakia, which was kind of a pseudo knockout match in a way, maybe not a knockout match, but a play in match. If you want to look at it that way, where the two teams were really playing uh, for an opportunity to, lock up their qualification. Um, they had a good chance, both of them, to punch their ticket to the round of 16. Obviously, it looks like Sweden may have done that. And yes, it may not be aesthetically pleasing. It may not make you feel good watching. But can we take a minute here and realize how impeccable Sweden have defended in this tournament so far. Two matches, 180 minutes, no goals surrendered. In a tournament that has seen goals, if I'm not mistaken, in every match except Sweden's two matches. Or I should say, um, except for their, their draw with... with um, their their draw with Spain. So we we got some some going on in the in the the comments here. There's James, and we're gonna hear from James a little bit later on. He's got another round of picks for you for tomorrow, uh, and I agree with basically everything he said in it. And we'll get to it later on. But he said that Southgate would rather put Grealish on to flop, and he took Foden off over a Kane who was playing lazy. Very good points. Um, 
yeah, I, he opted for Grealish instead of for Sancho. Um, I would have also brought in Sancho, to be honest, because you weren't getting much down the right side either. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, Garrett Southgate is he's a manager we've talked about already this week a few times, and we nobody seems to really know where his head's at except for him. Um It just seems like he has something against the guys that don't play in the prim. And it looks like he's got some kind of rotation schedule going on with his outside backs. That's the other thing I'm noticing. Okay. Today he caves to the pressure to start Luke Shaw. Okay, fine. Luke Shaw is a good left back. He's an actual left back. He yanks Kyle Walker. Okay. He's, he, um, I'm going to pull up the lineup. I guess why don't we start today with the Derby? We'll start with the late match today. All right, I'll bring it up. It is the British Derby, England versus Scotland from Wembley. The referee, as we said last night, was the Spaniard Antonio Mateo. And let's go into the lineups. We'll start with uh, we'll start with Scotland. They're playing a three-five-two for their manager, Stephen Clark. David Marshall is the goalkeeper, of course. Three in the back is Scott McTominay of Manchester United, Grant Hanley, and Arsenal's Kieran Tierney. The two outside backs, Andrew Robertson, the captain on the left, and Stephen O'Donnell on the right. John McGinn, Billy Gilmore, the surprise inclusion in this one, uh, getting the start in in the hole in the in the deep center midfield role. And Callum McGregor is to his left. And then Che Adams gets the start today. Uh, he returns to the starting lineup. We were a little bit surprised why he didn't start in the first match day. And Landon Dykes, Lyndon Dykes, excuse me, um, partners with him up front. Now here is Southgate's England side playing 4-2-3-1. Pickford's in goal. Reese James replaces Kyle Walker. John Stones and Tyrone Mings are the center backs. And like we said, Luke Shaw replaces Kieran, uh, sorry, Kieran Trippier in the back. And as an Atleti fan, that, that stings me a little. <laughs> um, but it is what it is. Uh, it looks like he is trying different different formations still. Almost like he's using the group stage as a, an extra set of friendlies to try different combinations and to try different uh, partnerships. Today we got Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips in a double pivot in midfield. Uh, Mason Mount, Phil Foden, and Raheem Sterling in front of them. And Harry Kane, the lone striker, another less than um, inspiring performance from Harry Kane. And I think Harry Kane, honestly, I'm going to, and this is going to spin off a little bit into a news piece, but Harry Kane, I think, is very affected by what happened to Christian Eriksen. Um, the two of them are are very, very tight. And we have not seen that Harry Kane in this tournament thus far, in these 180 minutes that they have played. We've not seen uh, the Harry Kane that we're, especially the Harry Kane we see with, we normally see with England, right? And yeah, it, he's still probably better than anybody else, you know, playing at less than his best. Uh, we'll look at the substitutes for a second down English, down England's, you know, list of substitutes, Jack Grealish, Marcus Rash, Rashford, 
uh, two backup goalkeepers. Then you got Harry Maguire on the bench today. He did, he didn't end up getting the start. Kieran Trippier, Connor Cody, Ben Chilwell. There's four more defenders on the bench. I I, I wonder if he's still rotating them and still looking uh, for the exact best combination. It's uh, Jordan Henderson, the midfielder. Jude Bellingham, who I thought was going to play a lot more in this competition at the start of the competition. Before it started, I I should say. I thought with the form he brought in from Dortmund, I thought you couldn't keep him out of the squad. But uh, Gareth Southgate sees otherwise. And I can't help but wonder if Gareth Southgate is just has some sort of bias against players playing abroad. All three of them. Jude Bellingham, Jordan Sancho, Karen Trippier on the bench today. Karen Trippier was in the best 11 for La Liga. He was selected to the La Liga best 11. He won La Liga. How many players here were champions in England? Let's see. Who's from Manchester City in this team? John Stones. Who else? It's you know, it's it's uh it's it's few and far between. I don't know. I thought that should hold a little bit of weight, in my opinion, but you still got and then uh Dominic Calvert Lewin also on the bench. So a lot of options for Gareth Southgate here. Um but England lack a little bit of, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's a little cutting edge that is missing with England right now. And there's a real inability to score. And like James said there, like JMP said, uh, Grelish came on and he he took a good shot. There was one, there was one that, uh, who was, it was O'Donnell got him pretty good. Um but yeah, he comes out and he comes in and he, and he does. He takes he goes to the ground pretty easily. Uh, disappointing, in my opinion, what we got from from Jack Relish. Um, Harry Kane, like we said, uh, and Phil Foden both ended up being subbed off. Okay, they were subbed off, and in came. In came Marcus Rashford and Jack Relish for those two. And actually, those are the only two substitutions it looks like Gareth Southgate made. He has five. You want to manage minutes. Use all your substitutions. And it looks like both managers, you know, didn't use their full allotment of substitutions in this one. I understand for Scotland. Scotland's holding on for this draw. Scotland need this point. If they lose, they're going out. So I understand a little bit more why Scotland didn't utilize all their substitutions. But I just, I'm left with a lot of questions for Garrett Southgate and about Garrett Southgate. Um... I don't know. I don't know how you leave a player like Jaden Sancho off when you need a goal. When you you absolutely need a goal. Oh, and I've got an update. Argentina have scored at Copa America. Argentina now ahead of one nil over Uruguay. And let's go through the ticker. Let's go through the occasions of the match. As we've got uh 
England. I I predicted this yesterday. Actually, it was funny. I, I was uh, I was telling Fades yesterday right here that I thought that it in, that Scotland were going to come out and commit a foul right on the first kick, and they did. It wasn't on purpose like I thought it would be, but it was a foul no less. As uh, a long ball was sent almost immediately off the kickoff, and it was Dykes going up, and he actually gets his knee into the kidney area of Luke Shaw. Looked like it hurt quite a bit. Uh, that would have had me down for a bit longer than Luke Shaw stayed down too. So credit to him for getting up. But uh, yeah, literally seconds into the match, and Scotland sent a very physical message to England. In the second minute, Phillips scampers after a pass down the right, which Hanley wisely shepherds out of play. Scotland's back three looked more like a back five early on. That's what else were you going to expect? They played a back three. They're obviously going to need to to be a back five on a lot of occasions. They're overmatched in this one. Uh, in the sixth minute, we got McGinn bundling over Kane from behind uh, down England's right. Mason Mount is the England player most likely to take the free kick. And his delivery is met by Declan Rice, who doesn't fully connect with it. Scotland's goalkeeper, Marshall, collects it with an easy save. Moving on, we'll we'll skip ahead quite a bit. In the Well, about 10 minutes or so. In the 16th, John McGinn goes into the book for a yellow card for dissent as Mings holds off a challenge of Dykes. 75 minutes is a long time here for the Aston Villa man, John McGinn of Scotland to go keeping himself reined in and keeping himself from being sent off. So you got this added facet into the game. Mind you, a tidbit that England failed, failed to, to exploit, failed to do anything about. And it, Again, what is Southgate looking? You got a back that goes in to the. Hold on a second. You got. He's a, he's a midfielder actually, but um, he, he goes and gets booked. John McGinn does here in the the fifteenth minute. Okay, and I do apologize for pausing there. Just got a message from Fates. He won't be here tonight. Uh, he is still working. So I'm going at it alone tonight until until um until we cut to JMP's video. As, as I refocus here and get back to England versus Scotland. Okay. And uh like I was saying, McGinn goes in the book in the 75th minute. Why are you not running at him? Again, 75 minutes. I'm sorry, not the 75th minute. He goes into the book in the 15th minute. 75 minutes. He's going to have to survive on a yellow card. I, I, it's just, I don't know what, what's he watching? What is, what is Garrett Southgate concerning himself with? What instructions is he shouting to his players? By the way, the environment for this match or the the um the atmosphere for this match was fantastic. But it sounded like a Scotland home game. I hope I'm not being too harsh on the England fans. There were many more of them. 
but the Scots were louder. The Scots were louder tonight. And you could hear them singing. Of course, the match was going more in their way, in their favor, the way they wanted to see it. But, um, again, the England fans didn't really get behind their team, in my opinion. You didn't hear them urging them on. And you get guys like Mason Mount that can run at people. You know, you got, again, Raheem Sterling, like I said, looks very fatigued to me. And to me, I have a harsh critique for him. And it's not just him, but he makes it in this match very obvious on him. And it's that he abuses his strong foot as an inverted winger. It is starting to get under my skin just how exposed he leaves the ball when he's when he especially now that he's not exploding with it. He's not he's not top speeding at the same rate we're used to seeing from him. And defenders are getting access to the ball and breaking up his dribbles. Also, lack of uh, of shooting from the outside as well. England used to be known for players that could smack a ball from distance. Now they too are trying to be cute and trying to pass it, you know, across the entire pitch, trying to get into the into the penalty area, trying to connect the dots in there and then walk it into the goal. You when you're playing a team that's lying deep, like Scotland do for stretches, especially towards the end of this one, you have to force them to come out. One way to do that is to begin to take shots from a little bit further distance. You put some on goal, you scare the goalkeeper a little bit, and that he's going to yell at his defenders to step out and to close that down. And that opens up space in behind for your runners, for your Fodens, for your, your Sterlings, so that they can then get the ball in across the face of goal and try to find Harry Kane. Harry Kane is also not getting very good service in these two matches. We move to the 30th. Pickford makes a great save here to keep O'Donnell out. It's Robertson finding his counterpart uh, at the far post. O'Donnell fires towards the bottom left corner. Jordan Pickford dives to his right to push it aside. And then Adams nods wide on the follow-up. Che Adams had a chance there to put Scotland ahead. But it was not to be today. For Che Adams, he put in a good shift, though, and uh, he got a standing ovation from his fans as he exited later in the match. In the 34th, Mount dinks a delicious ball over the top for Sterling, who promptly controls it. England's forwards are, are linking up well here, it says. They're linking up well to a point. And yes, there were a couple good saves from Marshall. Let's not take that away. But am I wrong to have a higher bar set for this England team. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm being unfair. But if I'm being unfair, their own fans and their own media are, are much, much more critical and have much, much higher expectations of this team than I do. When Leo was on last, last week, and um, he dismissed any chance of England. You heard him. He dismissed any chance of England. I said, you know, uh, you know I tried to kind of justify this belief in England, and he he quickly shut it down. 
So even if they win the group, they're going to run into either France, Spain, France, Germany, or Portugal and go home in the round of 16. Even at, at Wembley. No. I don't necessarily want to play England at Wembley in the round of 16. But when you compare this England side to some of the other sides that want to win this title, or that realistically are in the in that group that can win the title, it's been a frustrating 180 minutes for them. However, I just read a tweet before going live uh, from Karta Krishnayer, World Soccer Talk, um, someone whose opinion I hold very, very highly. And he reminded everybody, and he's right. If you go to the group stage four years ago, the team that won this competition, you see the flag right back there. So you see it right back there. It's uh, it's Portugal. They looked horrible at this stage, or at least if you didn't look close enough. Um, for me, they had signs already that they had the ability, if they could get out of the group, they had signs that they could have succeeded. I'm not seeing the signs in this England side. And maybe it's because I'm not watching them as closely because this isn't a team that I follow anywhere near as closely. But from what I've seen in these 180 minutes, I mean, listen, they could win the group. They could go on and who knows. Or they could even finish in second. Right now they're second to Czech Republic. It could very well be that they come in second and they play the second place team out of Spain's group, which could be, you know, it could be, it could be Poland. It could be um, Sweden. It could be what's the other team in that group. <laughs> it's uh, is it Slovakia? Slovakia. Okay, and you'd favor England, I think, against just about any of those. Except that I think Sweden would be a real tough matchup for them. But England could very easily go in second and have the easier route, the way they did in the World Cup in 2018 and find themselves in the semifinals again. And there is a long time between now and then, so it, it, it is way too early to count them out. But uh, when you compare them to, you know, the way the Italians are playing right now, but I said this, I said this, the teams that shine in the group stage very rarely are there at the end. The teams that come out in the group stage and that just mesmerize the way Italy is mesmerizing right now, they very rarely are still there at the end. Just a little bit of food for thought. All right. So go to halftime. It's nil-nil. And it's an engaging co contest between England and Scotland, but it remains goalless. Surely not for long is what the reporter for FOTMOB said here. Um, little did this person know that uh, it would be for long. It would be for the duration. England will feel they can gear up after the break, but it feels like Scotland have more in the tank. I th I noticed that as well. I I agree with that statement. Uh, there's been plenty to drive to to the games so far. Either way, and an upset doesn't feel too outlandish a concept. Last time, England lost a competitive match at Wembley when the game was nil nil at halftime. It was in 1981 against guess who? Scotland. That's right. So the last time. England took a went into halftime nil nil in a competitive match at Wembley, so that's not even at this Wembley. Um, it was they and lost. It was against Scotland. This match, um, 
for nostalgia purposes, I love it. It brings back memories of, of Euro 96, which was the first Euro I ever sat down and watched. And uh, I remember very vividly that England-Scotland match on match day two, just like this, um, at the old Wembley. Of course, the, the stadium was full. Football's Coming Home was playing at the end of the match, and uh, the entire stadium was singing. England won on that day. This day, um, the sun was not shining today. It was raining. It was a very much an English day weather-wise. And, uh, well, there was only a partial crowd, of course. But we get into the second half. No changes by either team. Chance for England in the 48th. It's Mount receiving a pass from Shaw. Goes for the bottom right corner from range. Marshall tips it out for another England corner. And Scotland defend the corner well. Robertson scampers down the left a minute later as England get caught upfield. And he looks for Dykes, who's entering the box. Mings and Stones do their job cutting out the cross. So we move to six minute 63, and here is the, subs- the first substitution of the match. It's Jack Grillish finally coming on. I wanted to see him in match day one. Maybe it was a mistake not to play him in that first match day because, well, he was rusty today. Maybe if he'd got that out in the match with Croatia, he would have been better today. Um, I know he's nursing an injury, so uh, he also may have been ruled out by that injury. He's got a calf injury and he's very day to day and he's on his own specific recovery plan through the tournament. But Relish replaces Foden in the 63rd minute, as you can see, as we saw earlier, and I'll put the comment back up that that um, upsets J, uh, JMP there. And he makes a good point. Um, although I didn't think Foden gave, gave much today. I was disappointed in Foden today. I didn't think he got into the dangerous areas enough. Um, but, again, the uh, the field was soggy. The The weather was what it was. And they were playing a very motivated, well-organized Scotland team. Grelish makes his first contribution in the 65th to the game, winning England a corner down their left. And Mount's ball isn't the best, and it gets wasted as Scotland clear it. Easily. Now, there's shouts for a penalty kick here, and I'm not sure the exact moment where it was made, but first, there is a substitution here in the 74th. Marcus Rashford comes on for Harry Kane. Uh, I don't know that I would have made this change. I know I know that uh, a lot of people like Marcus Rashford. Different, They have different characteristics. And Marcus Rashford is a good runner. He's good to get in behind, but now you lose your your target presence in the area and essentially leave yourself nobody to cross the ball to, in my opinion. So, again, I'm questioning what Southgate's doing. Even when Kane is not playing well, reduce his role. Don't pull him out. Reduce his role. Simplify his role. Make him a box presence and tell him to look to get on the end of crosses. Change the plan around him a little bit. Instead, he opts for subbing him off. On comes Rashford. But Scotland makes their first substitution. Stuart Armstrong replaces Billy Gilmore. 
I'm looking in the notes here for the calls for a penalty, but let's talk about it for a moment. Um, to me, now this wasn't even reviewed on VAR, but to me, I think Sterling gets his own feet tangled up with each other. I haven't had a chance to sit here and to analyze it from separate angles and to look at all the different different video angles and things like that, but it looked to me like... If there was contact, I feel like the VAR official would have communicated that to the field official. The referee would have taken a look at it. He didn't look at this one. He didn't even look at this one. We'll talk about the Croatia match in a little while. Um, sorry, yeah, the Croatia-Czech Republic match where the referee did go take a look at it. This one he did not. So that's telling me that the VAR official is agreeing with my very quick look at it that that Sterling's two feet kind of tangle each other and he falls. And that was actually in the 79th minute. It's right here. England wants a penalty. Sterling goes down after Robert. It says Robertson catches his foot, but the referee isn't interested. There's also the question of whether or not Robertson catches Sterling's foot or Sterling catches Robertson's foot and falls. Not the same thing. And in this age of VAR, in the age of VAR, sometimes they get confused for the same thing. And sometimes the contact just goes against the defender regardless. Armstrong swings in a corner for Scotland in the 82nd minute, but Mings dismisses it with a powerful header. Sterling will run into McGinn. Remember McGinn, he's on a yellow card. He has been now for over an hour. Sterling runs into him, and Armstrong bounds down the left, seeking support, and Scotland play keep the ball to the boos of the England faithful in the crowd at Wembley. O'Donnell wins a foul down Scotland's right. In the 85th, as he's brought down by Mings, Scotland have been solid all game, it says. And that brings us to the final substitution, and it is Kevin Nisbet coming on, replacing Che Adams. This is where Che Adams gets the standing ovation from his crowd. And, and um, a job well done by Che Adams, no question, as you see there. Leo at DGNZ United says that he finally got a call a VAR call to go his way. He had, yeah, we spoke, we actually, Leo, we actually talked about your, your, um, no, we talked about your Chiellini ticket yesterday. We talked about how, uh, you had Chiellini to score at plus 700. So, um, very, very sorry about that. Uh-huh. And he makes a good point here that Che Adams was the difference maker. No doubt. Che Adams was phenomenal in this game. And um, he was phenomenal. And there's the response. It was at plus 1,300. Uh, not plus 700. So Leo missed out on a plus 1,300 ticket with Chiellini to score the other day. Of course, Chiellini's gangly arms and his hand got in the way. But back to this one here is... Um, O'Donnell goes in the book in the 87th minute for tripping uh, the what it's calling the foul magnet, Jack Grealish. And 
Fought Mob here is saying you can whisper it, but it's true that Scotland have been the better side. I tend to agree with that. I actually really enjoyed Scotland's performance in this match. I enjoyed the effort. I enjoyed the work rate. I enjoyed the belief that they showed. I also enjoyed listening to the Titan Army all match. I really did. Um, only two minutes of stoppage time and England have no answers. Again, Again, this match was screaming for Jaden Sancho. You bring him in and he runs at these at these defenders. They want to sit deep. Well, now they got to contend with a skillful runner who's fresh. I think Sterling is not fresh right now. Sterling is very fatigued. It's showing in his movements, to me at least. We saw in Italy versus Switzerland... With Berardi, okay, when you run at defenders, when you have players like that, and Sancho can do the same thing on either flank. Sancho can play on either flank. Keep that in mind. When you run at defenders and you get them changing direction, you get them off balance, it becomes much harder to sit in deep. In fact, they start retreating all the way into their own goal almost. I think that there were a number of things England could have done in this one. They failed to do them all from a tactical standpoint. And I'm very disappointed, to be honest, with, with this performance. I expected a lot more out of England. And they may still hit those notes. And I know England fans probably... I know they're not happy with this result, but they're probably not happy hearing it from me either, from a Yank. <laughs> um, a lot of times I get that. I get that. I'm, I'm a Yank and I uh, don't know what I'm talking about. And that's fine. You can believe that. That's cool. Here on my platform, all opinions are welcome. Positive, negative, um, agreement, disagreement. It's all welcome. This is an open forum for discussion. Um, but Scotland pick up the credible draw against a, uh, an England side that disappointed. Clark's men proved very hard for England to break down and even came closest to winning the game when Adams blazed one over late on. England brought on Grelish and Rashford, but couldn't find an answer. Maybe they should have brought on Sancho. Just saying. Just saying. You think we see Sancho in match day three? I want to know if we see Trippier playing right back in match day three and then um, Chilwell playing left back. It seems like he's rotating players. And I don't know if Gareth Southgate's getting ahead of himself. Because he's almost managing this like he it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be in the final. And he's managing minutes now. But, well, they're out of the group. So the first objective, I suppose, is achieved. But for this team in this group, they should have six points right now. No question about it. They failed to do so. And that should be addressed by their by their media, by their staff. Okay, a couple of stats, 60% possession to 40 in favor of England, but shots, the advantage goes to Scotland, 11 to 9. Uh, chances created, 8 for England, 5 for Scotland. Accurate passes, England connected 200 more accurate passes with 498 accurate passes, 89% pass success rate. Both teams committed uh, 13 and 14 fouls, respectively, with Scotland getting 14. Corners galore for each team, but uh, nothing came of it. 
And at the end of the day, you look at the duels, it was pretty even, 54 to 46 in favor of England. But at the end of the day, England didn't do enough. And Scotland left themselves alive. Okay, Scotland now played Croatia, but they're going home to Hamden Park to play Croatia. Croatia have not impressed. Why don't we go to Croatia's match now? Let's do that. We got Croatia versus the Czech Republic. And we've got the lineups starting with the Czech Republic and their manager, Yaroslav Sehavi. Three, uh, four, two, three, one is their preferred formation. Thomas Vaslik is in goal. Vladimir Kufal, Thomas Kalas, Andre Salutska, and Jan Boril, the four in the back. Double pivot in midfield, Thomas Sosek and Thomas uh, Holis with Vladimir Zarida, Lucas Masupust, and Jakub Janko in front of them behind. The new leading goal scorer in the competition, Patrick Schick. And for Croatia, 4-2-3-1 as well. As they go with uh they go with Livakovic in goal. Raskio uh, right back Lovren and Vida are the center backs with Gravidiol on the left. Luka Modric and Mateo Kovacic are the double pivot in midfield with Andre Kramaric leading the attacking midfielders as the number 10, playing in the number 10, I should say, the right behind the striker, with Joseph Brekalo to his left, Ivan Perisic to his right, and Ante Rebic, the Atalanta striker, gets the start up front. Only 45 minutes for Rebic in this one. Um. The match gets a huge influence, gets influenced hugely, but first by the referee and then by the VAR here in the 37th minute. Okay. And again, I'm not seeing, I know they're aging. I know they're older, uh, but it's almost like there's nothing left in this Croatian team that went to the world cup final. This Croatian team I loved in 2018 and this Croatian team, I went on a limb at, before the round of 16 and said, we're going to win that World Cup. I thought the way it was going, that was going to be the year an outsider won the World Cup, and I thought they were going to be it. Of course, Rakitic is not there anymore. Modric is three years older. Perisic is three years older. Um, But this does not look like a team that was at a World Cup final. There isn't even traces there. Struggling against anybody right now. And the Czech Republic get a break here. And actually, Patrick Schick maybe gets a break too, but to his nose, <laughs> to his, uh, to the bones in his nose. Uh, a cross is whipped in from the right. Um, Schick and Lovren go up for it. And it was completely incidental. There's no, no, no um, intent at all. But that, in my interpretation of the rule does not matter, but let's, let's, let's back up for a second. There is no intent, but as he's going up, Lovren's arm extends and Schick gets an elbow square on the bridge of his nose. He gets it square on the bridge of his nose. So, um, he goes down in a heap. I mean, you can see 
the camera zoom in and he's bleeding. It, it is like a, it's like the fountain of Trevi in, in Rome coming out of his nose. Okay. There is blood everywhere. And the, the, the medics are called on or the, the, the physios. And I, there's something here that I have an issue with. Okay. And this is the implementation of a rule. And maybe if there's a referee out there, that can correct me on this. If I'm wrong, I have no issue being corrected. I'm actually curious. But he's got blood on his jersey, blood on his face, blood in his hands. Meanwhile, the referee steps away, holds his ear. So the VAR is in his ear telling him something. And suddenly he makes the, you know, he makes the sign that he's going over to the screen. And he looks at it. It doesn't look like a penalty. That doesn't mean it's not a penalty. Let's 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 keep that. In mind, I said it does not look like a penalty, especially at first glance. It looks like they both went up and there was incidental contact. However, according to the referee on expert on ESPN, which is Mark Clattenburg, who refed the final in 2016, very, very, you know, he refereed plenty of Champions League finals. This is a competent referee. He doesn't agree with the call, but he thinks because here... The referee comes back from the VAR screen, again, blows his whistle, does the VAR symbol, points to the spot to everyone's surprise. Mark Clattenburg says he must have been informed to take a look, and perhaps this is because the elbow lands before the ball arrives, thus meaning that Lovren is not playing the ball. I accept that. I accept that justification for a penalty kick. Okay. Um, I accept the counter argument that it's not a penalty kick as well. Okay. So I see both sides of this and they debated this for quite a while on ESPN FC tonight. Okay. Uh, Stevie nickel of all people saying at first glance, he thought it was nothing after watching it. It's a penalty. He goes incidental or not. You can't just land an elbow on someone's face. While the ball is in play as well, and you can't you can't be early with contact before the ball arrives. Now, who initiated the contact? I'd have to analyze the the video some more. I have not had the time to do that. However, I can see both sides, and I see why he called the penalty. Here's where I have an issue. The medical team came onto the pitch to treat Patrick Schick. Now, my understanding of the rule, once the match is stopped, because the match was not stopped for VAR, it was stopped for an injury. Perhaps the fact that he went over to the VAR negates the stoppage. I'm not sure. And because the call on the field was reversed, that negates the stoppage, and that's what allows him to stay on. But I'm not... I don't understand why Patrick Schick was allowed to take this penalty. I thought he needed to come off the pitch. And it needed to be someone that's on the pitch to take it. He had blood on his jersey, blood in his hands, blood still running down his nose as he stepped up. Took a phenomenal penalty, by the way. He uh, he, he sends Livakovic the wrong way, buries it. And then is mobbed by his teammates as they're all getting his blood on their jerseys. Then he goes off again to receive more treatment. Now, if there's a referee out there watching, listening, 
whatever. You can put it in the comments if you're watching, or you can email me. It's ptbmedianetwork at gmail.com. You can s- slide in my DMs with a, a on Instagram at ptb underscore media. You can send me a direct message on Twitter. It's same ptb underscore media. You can go to my Facebook page and send me a message if you want. Explain to me. Did he not have to come off? And do not all those players have to change their match jerseys when they have blood on it? None of this happened. None of this happened in this match. And I feel like someone else had to take that penalty kick per the rules. Maybe I'm wrong. And I'll be happy to say I'm wrong if I'm wrong. I- I'm curious if I'm right right or wrong on this. So at halftime, it is 1-0 to the Czechs. Croatia come out the gate flying. Perisic equalizes in the 47th minute. Phenomenal goal. Um, with a, It's just a very, very good strike to the far post. Well done by Ivan Perisic. Uh, it goes 1-1, and actually both teams look happy with that result. To be, If you're the Czech Republic, you're ecstatic. You got four points from two after two matches. And now you got England in the final match, who also have four points. The Czech Republic goes into this final match not needing to beat England. Keep that in mind. England are going to have a hard time because they have to win. Czech Republic are ahead on goal difference. And neither Croatia nor Scotland can catch them if they draw. Okay? They can't win the group. However, that's Scotland versus versus Croatia match will be like a round of 32 match, really. The winner will advance if there is a winner. If there's a draw, they could potentially both be out, which would be something if Croatia bow out in the group stage. It's all going to depend. When we get to that point, we'll have a better idea of what third place team what it's how many points it's going to take for a third place team to advance but the more teams have three and four points the harder it is going to be for Croatia and for Scotland to get out of the group if you're Scotland you're psyched to still be in it if you're Croatia you got to be nervous going into this final match I know you've been there before I know you've played in the World Cup final I know you have all this quality and all this experience but another stalemate, and you might be going home. You very well might be going home. Actually, never mind. A stalemate, you will be going home. They have one point each, not two. My mind was was thinking they were on two points. They have one point each. Two points will not get you out of this group. Two points will not get you into the round of 16 as one of the four top third place teams. So match day two is a uh, match day three is going to look very interesting in this group. So the table, like we just said, Czech Republic have a one goal advantage in goal difference right now over England. So when they face off head to head, yes, winner wins the group, but a draw will go to the Czech Republic. Why is that important? Well, again, England could avoid France, Germany, and Portugal that way in the next round. So we'll see what happens here in the final match day. All right. 
We're going to close the, or we're going to finish our, our report for the day in the early match today. We went in reverse order. Sweden versus Slovakia. And let's let's run down the lineups, starting with Slovakia. Dubrovka is the goalkeeper. They're playing 4-2-3-1, a very popular formation in this competition this year. Uh, Pekarik is the right back. Ludmir Satka is the center back, along with Milan Skirnar. And Thomas Hubokan is the left back. Double pivot in midfield. Uri, Kuka, and Patrick Rossovsky um, make up that pair with three attacking midfielders in front of them, led by the captain, Merrick Hemschik. Martin Koselnik and Robert Mack team with him, and they're behind the striker, Andre Duda. For Sweden, 4-4-2, classic old-school 4-4-2. Robin Olsen, the goalkeeper. Mikael Lustig is the right back. Victor Lindelof and Marcus Danielsson, the center back to a Ludwig Augustinsson, is the left back. Double the or the center midfield pairing, Albin Ekdal and Christopher Olsen with Sebastian Larsen down the right and Emil Forsberg down the left. Marcus Berg and Alexander Ishak on the attack as, as the forwards. I was curious how Sweden would do in this match in a match that they had to go after because this was their match they had to win. Slovakia, on the other hand, was looking for the draw. That would have put him at four points and in prime position to advance. Something that even the most diehard Slovakia fan was not expecting coming into this this tournament. Now, Slovakia Slovakia lead the the possession in this one. They have a fifty eight to forty one percent percent possession advantage, but Sweden create, which is fine. Sweden's very happy not being the team possessing. And I think 40% is where they want to be. To be honest with you, that's about how much possession they want. They want to be solid. They want to be tight. They don't want to give anything away, but they want to see enough of the ball to create chances. And when you got a guy like Alexander Izak in the attack, I like that player a lot. And I think that um, he creates a lot of things. However, what happens is the ball gets stuck on his foot. He beats two, three, sometimes four players and then can't pull the trigger, nor can he dish it off to his teammate. Some people on Twitter were, were calling him selfish in this one. I think he just couldn't get his body position. I think he couldn't get his balance to do anything with the ball other than to keep dribbling. I think he was off balance. Slovakia combined 537 passes at an 88% success rate, but Again, Sweden, always comfortable. Um, there were no big chances created by Slovakia with all that possession. Once again, you see Sweden give away the possession, but give away no chances. Clearly, this is their MO. And this is the Park in the Bus podcast. So, obviously, I appreciate that. Okay, Obviously, I appreciate that uh, commitment to defense, that commitment to, to be secure that commitment to be balanced and to be stable and to protect your goalkeeper and protect your back line and to cut off passing lanes. That's all good stuff in my book, because you know what? Not everybody's going to come out and be Spain and connect a thousand passes in a match or close to that. 
And when you face that team, if you can stop them, if you can start to dictate which direction their passes go, you're going to be okay. We talked about, it's funny because when, when, when France sit back and allow Germany to do all the work, the press hails them as a, as just a defensive mastermind performance. When Sweden does it, they're parking the bus. Well, I'll take parking the bus. You know what? I earned a lot of points in my career parking the bus. I have no problem or shame in that. Okay? This is a tournament. The goal is to advance. The goal is not to win an Academy Award for the most beautiful football in the tournament. You know who used to win that? Portugal used to. They don't do that anymore. They win matches now. Wait till we get to our preview tomorrow. No, it's true. You know... Euro 2000 and World Cup 2006 come to mind where everyone said that Portugal played the best football in the tournament. You know what they had to show for it? Absolutely this, okay? I'm not I'm not someone that even cares to see 900 passes completed in a match, especially when most of them are sideways and backwards. Okay, I want to see a team attack the goal. I want to see a team looking to win, not looking to win possession. That's not the tiebreaker. If it were, Spain would have won. Anyway, off the rant. Um, Emil Forsberg is the man of the match in this one. He ends up scoring the goal on a penalty. Um, good call. Goalkeeper takes out the striker uh, coming out. He comes out a little bit late, mistimes his, his, his challenge. Referee points to the spot without any trouble. Emil Forsberg finds the back of the net, sends the goalkeeper the wrong way. Sweden pick up three points, three huge points. And if you've seen the standings there along the bottom of the screen, for those of you watching, Group E, Group E's standing. Sweden, for now, sit top of the group. Tomorrow, Spain will take on Poland and um, will have an opportunity to, to pull even with Sweden. Poland are going to look for their first points of the match. It's possible at this time tomorrow I could be here on this microphone and on this platform talking about Spain being in the bottom of the group going into the final match day. This is why I love this sport of football. This is why I love these tournaments because you just never know. You never know what's going to happen. You never know. Um, teams sometimes do crash out early, way before before they're expected. and. I just don't think Spain are a well-built side, to be honest. But that's neither here nor there right now. 11,525 in the St. Petersburg Stadium for this one. That's us. Sweden take three points. Okay, let's quickly look at some statistics here. Um, or Let's look at the leaders. We I, I took it off the, uh, the scroll down there at the bottom today. It didn't fit. So um, I'm going to pull up the statistics here. The player statistics, the top goal scorer, like we said, is Patrick Schick now of the Czech Republic, three goals. And then you got uh, Andre Yarmolenko, Ciro Immobile, Denzel Dumfries of the Netherlands, Manuel Locatelli, Roman Yarmenchik, Romelu Lukaku, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, all with two goals. And then you have a whole slew of players with one. I'm not going to count them all. It's about 20 players with one goal each. Okay. Um, let's talk about tomorrow, but before I talk about tomorrow, we're going to hear from, from JMP now and 
before we go to his video, there's his his two cents right there. Uh, yeah, we we hit that earlier this week. Um, we we beat them up pretty good here. Uh, Fades and I hit him hit him pretty good. We beat them up pretty good after that match. All right, let's let's listen to what uh what JMP has to say here. Here is his his um predictions for tomorrow or his plays for tomorrow. All right. What? What is up, y'all? James Makes Picks here, coming at you with a breakdown of the Euro matches tomorrow from a gambler's perspective. I'm happy to be on Parking the Bus once again. Thanks to Mr. Benfica for having me on. It's an honor. Let's get right into the matches. The first match on tap tomorrow is France versus Hungary. France has won seven of the last eight, and they scored ten goals in that stretch. They've also kept clean sheets in six of their last eight and have won their last five games. But no, they're on amazing form. Uh, on defense and on offense. Hungary, meanwhile, the little brother of this group of deaths with Germany, Portugal, and France. They're going to get picked on in all the matches, just like they kind of did against Portugal. It took a while for Portugal to break through uh, Hungary as they just sat back and let Portugal attack, which I think they'll do this again. I don't see very many chances for them to find the score sheet, and I doubt they can contain the front line of France with Benzema and Mbappe and Griezmann and that attack. It's going to be really hard for Hungary to sit in for 90 minutes and get this no no draw. I do think France scores maybe one, maybe two, maybe three, but definitely keeps this clean sheet. I like the value, minus 127 for them to win 2-0. The next match on tap, we got Portugal versus Germany. This is my favorite one of the day. This German side is a little overvalued. Uh, obviously, they're Germany. People know them to be one of the top teams in the world. They're still very good, but they're getting older. They're lacking explosiveness, explosiveness Excuse me, up front. And the creativity on the attack is just not there anymore. Portugal has avoided defeat in their last seven matches, and they've only lost two matches since they've, uh, their exit of the World Cup in 2018. Uh, like I said, Germany's in not so great a form. They've only won one of their last four matches, including two at home, and they've lost to North Macedonia recently. Uh, I just think the wrong team is favored here. The books gave us plus money on Portugal pick, which is Portugal to win. If it's a draw, you get it's a avoided bet, so you get your bet back. Portugal, Toronto bet, Portugal pick, whatever you want to get it. It's plus 133. That's great value. I think they should not be the uh, the underdog here. They should be the favored team. I think the wrong team is favored in this one, so give me the value on Portugal there. And the final game, we got Spain versus Poland. Uh, Spain has won 11 of their last 14 home matches. Poland has conceded the first goal in each of their last five away matches, and Spain has kept a clean sheet in each of their last three matches. Uh, in match day one, Spain had 85% possession against Sweden. They couldn't find a way to break through. I think Sweden's defense is a little better than Poland's. Actually, a lot better than Poland. Sweden's got a pretty good defense. So I was surprised Spain didn't find the net, but not, like, shocked. Uh, but Poland doesn't have the defensive uh, back line that Sweden has. So I think Spain, especially if they have 85% possession in this match, will definitely find the net. So give me them on the money line. I'm going to parlay it with the under three and a half. I don't think Poland's going to find the net here. Spain's got a very good defense, got a great keeper. It's going to be hard for Poland to score. Lewandowski didn't even get involved in the first game. I don't know what – he should be the one that's getting most of the, the passes. and He's the target man, but barely saw the ball. So I think Spain holds them, contains them. The score stays under four goals. So give me Spain money line, under three and a half. It's even money. I think that's great value. I also wouldn't – blame anyone for just taking the under two and a half straight up it's plus 104 that's plus money i think that's crazy value considering i don't think poland can score on the spanish defense so i think you find a lot of spots and value in that game but that's my breakdown for these games i hope to be doing more of these videos for you on parking the bus 
Again, thanks to Mr. Benfica and Taylor Fade. As always, at your own risk, guys, and let's have a day. All right. Thank you, James, with that report, with his predictions for tomorrow. Um, I like a lot of what he said there. He's got he's always got the data to back it up, too. I, li- I really like that about him. Um, again, I'll start with Portugal versus Germany. That's obviously the match that I'm going to be very, very invested in. Um, very, very focused on. Um, you heard you heard the where both teams are trending. Portugal's unbeaten in their last seven, uh, and Germany has struggled to win. I throw that all out to be honest. Um, still traumatized from that four nil thumping in in Brazil for World Cup twenty fourteen, where uh, ended up undoing us in that whole World Cup, um, going down a four nil in uh, the first game of the group, and. You see Josh there says, does Portugal need at least a draw against Germany? Need? Well, because of their goal difference, I, I say they'll sur- they can survive with they can survive with a loss if it's one nil, two one. They'll still be on three points, depending. You're gonna assume France is gonna win tomorrow, and. That will put them at six points, which I kind of like the idea of France winning tomorrow because Portugal are playing France in the final game of the group stage, and I want France to have already qualified, to be honest. All right. Um, I don't want France coming in motivated and angry because they still got to play for something. I want France to be to be through comfortable. I don't want to have to show my cards against France in the group stage because I believe we're going to see each other again. If we want to win this competition, if we want to lift the trophy again, we're going to have to go through France again, not just in this group stage. So my hope is that Portugal takes care of business tomorrow and goes into the final group stage match with with six points. It's a tall order. But you heard James there. He gave you plenty of reasons why they can do it and why they should do it. And, yes, the, the bookies are giving you money to take Portugal right now. They have the wrong team as a favorite. I agree with that. Everyone except the Portuguese media agrees with that. For some reason, Portuguese people are so negative about their own team all the time. All the time. That I've heard from so many Portuguese pundits, both here and there, both sides of the Atlantic. But team people connected to this team or that follow this team that don't believe they're going to beat Germany or that they can beat this Germany. Now, I have a ton of respect for Germany. Do, does Portugal need at least a draw? No, they don't need a draw. But Portugal needs to keep the score low if they lose. That's And then they got to go into the match with France and get a, a point probably. Or again, I don't want to advance with three points again. Okay, I definitely don't want to advance with one win and two losses. But because of the plus three goal difference right now, for now, that could hold up. Now, I'd much rather take care of business tomorrow and get at least a point. I think if Portugal get a point tomorrow, they're through. They're through. They're at the very worst case. They will be a top third place team with four points. They got a plus three goal difference. If they draw that plus three goal difference is maintained, 
They go into the final match against a France team that I believe will have already qualified. And quite honestly, neither team is going to want to show each other. And what you're going to see is an absolute snoozer in the third match day. And I want this to happen because I don't want to show any cards. So we're going to go out there and for 90 minutes, the two center backs can pass back and forth to each other. They can send a long ball. Then Portugal's two center backs can pass back and forth to each other. Take a share of the spoils and go from there. Um, that's what I want to happen. Or that's, you know, the plan of action I like. If we win tomorrow, depending how many France, assuming they're going to win, win by against Hungary, and maybe they won't, who knows? But I'm assuming they're going to beat Hungary. If we come out tomorrow with a goal difference lead, I trust this team to get a draw against France on the final match day to win the group. That I will trust this team to do. However, it's never that simple against Germany. There's a saying in England, okay? Um, I think it was, it, the, the oh, the, the saying comes out of the movie Vic, Victory or Road to Victory, okay? And the saying is football is a game played between 11 men and 11 men for 90 minutes. And in the end, the Germans win. That's the saying, okay? Um, I get so much respect for Germany. Okay. Yeah, they're not playing well, but I think this match could play very perfectly into Portugal's hands. And here's why Germany are not fast at the back. I don't know if they're going to come out and try to play with, a, with a three man back line again. I, they did in the last match. I could see Yogi Lowe get away from that. And here's why Portugal have so much pace up front. I can't see him sending three center backs to play against to play against Ronaldo Jota and I would I would run Joao Felix in this match to be honest. I don't that's not going to be what what uh that's not going to be what Fernando Santos is going to do. He's going I'll tell you right now what Fernando Santos' team is going to be. Let's see how close I get this. Okay. I see what, what the probable one on Fop Mob says, but this is what I think it's going to be. It's going to be the variation uh, of a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. Okay. And I, the 4-2-3-1, I don't, I'm, it becomes a 4-3-3 when Portugal play it because Jota and Bernardo Silva become forwards. Okay. They don't really play much in the midfield, even as attacking midfielders. But you got Patricio in goal. Okay, you know the center backs are going to be Pep and and Ruben Dias. Um, Samidl is going to be the right back, and I'm fairly confident that Rafael Guerrero will continue to be the left back. In fact, Nuno Menge is out, so Guerrero is definitely the left back. All right, it was, he's ruled out. Um, we're going to see the we're going to see Danilo and, and William. I don't think Fernando Santos is going to get away from Danilo and William together, especially in a game like this. Okay, so you're going to see them as a double holding mid. Bruno Fernandes in front of them. Okay, and then I would go, I I would go, I think I would go with João Felix in this one over over Bernardo Silva just because of the pace, but that's not what, what Fernando Santos is going to do. It's going to be Bernardo Silva, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Diogo Jota again. I don't think he's going to change anything. 
The only change I could see is if you were to somehow go to one holding midfielder and you inject, you take out either Danilo or William and you inject Renato Sanchez. And here's why Renato is the player. Although the last match was much more the type of match I would want to see him in. Renato is the player that is going to transition that ball. He has the ability to take that ball from your defensive third to your attacking third. Okay. He is that workhorse, that true box-to-box midfielder that the other guys just are not. Um, A lot of good points I heard in critiques of Bruno Fernandes in the first game was that he was playing too high. Okay. I feel like he's not a true midfielder. He is a true number 10. Okay, which is not really a midfielder. It's a guy who sits behind the strikers and either creates for himself or for his his attackers. Okay. When you play with two holding midfielders, the big loser in that plan is Bruno Fernandes because he's less free. He's less liberated, less... um, He's just got less space to work with. Okay, he has more responsibility is what I should say. He can't play up with the forwards the way he does with Manchester United. Okay, this is the problem with Bruno in the national team. It's not It's not that he doesn't show up for it. It's that the system works against him because we always play with those two holding midfielders. And I don't disagree with the two holding midfielders. It has worked under Fernando Santos. Portugal have 30 clean sheets in competitive matches. If you don't surrender, you don't lose. So if we don't surrender tomorrow, we get that point that we need or that we may not need, but we want to answer Josh's question. I think that... Portugal would be much... I think this game goes into their favor because they can sit in, absorb the pressure. I know how much fans hate to see this. This is a brand of football that's not necessarily pleasing to the eye. But if you can pull Germany forward and you can bring them into your end and you can start to with those two holding midfielders, they're so crucial in this because they do all they they put out fires all day long. Be in sports as Eric Krakauer said it on the Celestone podcast when he was Danny Pinto's guest. That those two men put out fires the entire match against Hungary. The key is to transition from winning those balls into the attack. Now, you really want to hit him with, with, with speed? I won't be surprised if we see Rafa again in the second half. I won't be surprised if we see Renato again in the second half. Hopefully, we're not coming from behind. Hopefully, it's either level or we're ahead. But we can really exploit that lack of pace at Germany's back as the match goes on. And I think Portugal are going to win this game. Okay? I do. I think they're going to either win or draw. Um, I don't see Portugal losing this game. I know Germany's back is against the wall, and the, the conventional wisdom says, you know, Again, football is 11 versus 11, and in the end, the Germans win. But I think Portugal have every every responsibility to come away with a point in this match. 
I won't be surprised if Yogi Lowe introduces Leroy Sané and Timo or Timo Werner into this team to inject some pace up front for them to try to go at Portugal's back line. Okay. Um, last time Pep played against Germany, we know what happened. It was that 4-0 result because he got himself sent off. That absolutely cannot happen. If that, if that does not happen, Portugal should be looking good. I'm going to predict a 2-1 to one victory. No, I'm going to predict a 1-0 uh, Fernando Santos-styled Portugal victory in this game. Um, and I think it plays into their fact because Portugal will not have to have the ball for the type, the amount of time they had it against Hungary. I know you want to see that, Portugal fans, but they don't like to play that way. They don't play well that way. They They're just... They are not built to play that way. Now you want to in- introduce players like like, like Rafa and like Renato Sanchez, then I, I can see us having more of the ball because now we have the pace. But I don't want to see us turn into Spain 2.0 and just start connecting passes sideways, backwards, and just keeping the ball. I, I have no patience for that. That's not who we are. That's not how we play. That's not in our DNA. We We need to be fighters. We need to go out there, and we need to stand toe-to-toe with the Germans and believe that we're going to come out on top. Now, I'd like to see better service into the area for Cristiano Ronaldo. i like to see Ronaldo stay in the area, stay in the box. I don't want to see him getting out on the flanks too much. Leave that space for the younger guys. Don't go take a, a running lane away from Rafael Guerrero on the left. Okay. Uh, Nelson Semedo has to get further forward on the right. He needs to get into the space. See, last game, Rafa came on and exploited the spaces down the right that Bernardo and that Nelson Semedo did not. But you know what? If it's not working for for Bernardo on the left, on the right, excuse me, why can't he swap spots with Bruno Fernandes for a little while? Let Bruno run down the right. Let him use because he's he's a quick player. Let's let's confuse the defense a little bit. Let's let's change our look. Let's look for some some kind of adjustments. Um, but I trust Fernando Santos to 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 manage this match. He did a good job managing the last one, and I'm not. It's not going to be pretty, but I think when the push comes to shove, in big matches, he makes good decisions more times than not, and I think he's going to do it again. The other matches tomorrow, okay? I think France France wins three 0 over over Hungary. Poor Hungary is going to take another smacking. Um, I have a hard time seeing anything else. I, I don't see how they're going to contend with with Mbappe's pace, okay? Plus, you got a big big guy like Benzema that can be in the box to get on the end of crosses. You got guys that can whip in crosses. I mean, I think France just has too much for Hungary. And Spain versus Poland is intriguing, the late game. I'm not as confident as James that Spain are going to score if they have the possession. I could see an absolute deja vu of what happened in the last match. Um, because their confidence is low. And goal scoring a lot of times is about confidence. And though it, it kind of defies logic because you got to think that you keep you keep being in those areas and you keep building play and you keep finding 
opportunities it's eventually going to go in. But I also could see one counterattack going the other way. One well-weighted cross into the area. One opportunity is all Robert Lewandowski needs. Portugal versus versus Poland. Uh, quarterfinals 2016. I know it was five years ago. But one mistake by Cedric as the right back. Okay, by one misjudgment allowed Poland's left-sided player to go down the flank, find Lewandowski, you know, 20 yards from goal, and he scores in the first minute. If Spain fall behind the way that if they fall behind in this match, you will see Spain possessing for 80% of the game again. I don't think they get 80% possession again unless they fall behind. Because like James said, Poland is not as good in defending. They're not as comfortable defending for that long of stretches. So I think Poland will have the ball more than Sweden did unless they go ahead early. They go ahead early. It's the good old park the bus. The name of the show. They're gonna put they're gonna play with eleven goalkeepers if they have to. And it will really test Spain's patience and it'll test their creativity because as much as they do things beautifully, they're not incredibly creative. They don't have that little bit of magic. They don't have the player that can create that half yard of space. To make that tiny window to get the shot off. There's no David Villa. There's no David Silva. Okay. There's no Fernando Torres. There's no Diego Costa in this team. This this is the type of quality Spain used to have when they, when their tiki taka was effective, because they had finishers like that. And I'm sure I'm I'm forgetting people. <laughs> I'm sure I'm forgetting good finishers. I could see this game going nil-nil again. And, I mean, the weight of the world will be on Luis Enrique if that happens. We'll wait and see. But I also can see Poland uh, really making Spain sweat. Maybe a 1-1. Maybe they finally break through, but Poland get one as well. The way VAR works, you could never rule out a penalty. And maybe it's through a penalty that that Spain breaks this this, uh, drought. It's possible. Although if they miss the penalty at the rate that penalties have been missed in this tournament, well, that could really destroy their their uh could really destroy their their chances. So I'm gonna put this quote back up from James here. He says Spain is overrated, even though I'm taking them on the money line, but that's more about Poland. I I can see that. I I can see where he's coming from there. Um be, be interesting to see. All right, that's going to do it for this episode 49 of Parking the Bus. All right, tomorrow night I will have a bonus segment for the podcast only. I'm not going to do it tonight. It's going to be tomorrow night. I'll break down the four. four there's four of them, Copa America matches from last night and tonight. Okay, uh, Copa America group stage. And that'll come to you tomorrow night. And obviously... Be right back here tomorrow talking about the 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 three matches on tap and looking forward to Sunday's matches. All right. Um, questions, concerns, comments, feel free to tweet at me at PTB underscore media, or you can, you know, 
You can hit me in the DMs on Instagram as well. Same PTB underscore media. Questions you want me to answer on the show, me or or Faze if he's here. If JMP's here, you can also have questions. You know, we can all take turns at the questions. Um, just feel free to hit me on, on any of those social media platforms. Do the social media, the email. I may not check between now and tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow is a working day for me and my day job. So um, it's going to look you know, my time is going to break down more or less like this. Um, but I am looking forward to watching these matches and I'm looking forward to being back here tomorrow night to break them down. All right. Um, hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to follow the social media. Like I said, and don't forget to check out the pod, the, the parking, the bus homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. Okay, all of these episodes are there right on the front there. It's the first thing you see when you scroll down. It's a playlist. All eight episodes are there now. You can go back and binge if you want. All right. Don't forget to download the podcast, especially those of you listening on the podcast. All right. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, preferably those two for wherever you can find it. But if you have those two platforms, that's preferable. Um, if you don't want to download episodes that's cool too go to parkingthebusmedia.com i've got them in podcast format there in a player you can just click on them and listen to them there all right that's gonna do it and i'll see you tomorrow this is the mr mike agustinio signing off thank you to to jmp at james makes picks for his contribution tonight and for his segment and i look forward to getting more of those from him um i really like his work and i like uh i like his his analysis and his data that he brings to the table in those predictions he makes. And he gives some solid, solid advice. And like he said, um, play responsibly. All right. If you're going to play, play responsibly and um, I'll see you tomorrow night. All right. Good night, everybody. In a pool of light Electricity in the room tonight Born from fire Sparks flying from the sun Hey, I hardly know you Can I confess? I feel your heart Beating in my chest If you come with me Tonight is gonna be the one Cause you faith and no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad but you might just be right
Broken bells and a broken church Heart that hurts is a heart that works From a broken place, that's where the victory's won Cause you fail, no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad, but you might just be right 